0: Welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon.
1: Hello everyone and welcome again to the Mile 99 interview. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Turner. The Mile 99 is a place where we hang out once a week or two with like-minded folks in our community, talk about our successes and our failures and our recent races and all kinds of stuff and even our deepest trail secrets. It's also a place where we can get local race news and just kind of get updated with what's going on in our community. We record in front of a live Zoom audience, as you can see around us, one take, no breaks. And unlike what's said here, it's on the record so be careful. I'm joined by my co-host Jessica Harris and Greg Larkin. Greg, how's it going? How you been?
0: i oh, pretty good. Uh, spending a lot of time getting my office set up. If you're on video, you can see uh, so I can finally actually get some work done around here. So I'm um, trying to get out there. Actually uh, did a run last night, felt pretty good, and uh, got on my road bike for the first time in uh, probably almost two years tonight and was reminded quickly how difficult that sport is. Good times.
1: Jessica, how's it going with you?
2: Pretty good. You know, I am full blown into so many kids in sports and school. Things are getting back to normal very quickly around here. Um, so, doctor's appointments and soccer games, and we've had blue skies for a couple days. We had kind of a yucky air day in. Roseville on Monday, but it cleared up. So, got to run right before the podcast. That was pretty nice. So, that's pretty good. Today, Greg is going to be taking care of all the interactive stuff. So, Facebook Live, he's your guy. Zoom chat, he's your guy. Send him all your questions and we'll make sure to get them answered. We also have our Patreon set up. It is $1 a month and it helps us out so much. Um, we'll make sure to link that in um, the show notes and we'll put it up on our Facebook live stream and
1: our Zoom chat. Awesome. So if someone has an urge to message you with a question, Jessica, just don't do it. Send it to Greg. Got it. All right. So tonight we are very excited. I know I'm excited. Greg's excited. Jessica's excited to talk to an amazing woman with endless accomplishments under her belt. She's started in the adventure racing scene, moved into bicycle road racing, ultra trail racing, and now she's been doing these super, super, super long road races like in the 300 mile range. Uh, She's also a hydrogeochemist which is pretty awesome and a certified running coach, certified personal trainer and official queen of the south which is pretty exciting. We'll we'll find out about that later on tonight. So welcome to the show Beth. How are you doing?
3: Hey I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, That makes me sound pretty impressive. (laughs) These days actually I'm not doing any hydrogeochemistry or anything like that I'm just sort of a a over-the-top data geek for the state water board so just all in on their data
1: (laughs) yeah I often say I just I just put numbers in boxes I'm a geologist and I just put numbers in boxes that's all that I do
2: you guys are pretty pretty accomplished, smart people. So we're super glad to have you. And I think people want to know where it has all started. So we're going to take it all the way to the beginning. Roll it all the way back. So tell us, you were born in Canada, right?
3: I was. I was born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and grew up there. I uh, went to school through horrifying winters, And that's the main reason that I live in California at this point. (laughs) Just, uh, you know, I got into running early, early. I was into running when I was in, you know, first grade, second grade kind of thing. And as I was in running, I was a fairly compact, muscular kid, even when I was little. And my, you know, the, the school coaches kept trying to push me into sprints and I never, I sucked. I I could never sprint, and I just kept going longer, and longer, and longer, and by the time I got into, like, grade seven, I was doing the longest events that you could, which, you know, for junior high was 1,500 in Canada, so I was doing that, and then as I got up higher in, in school, I started doing the 3,000s, and just everything I could. And I'd go to track meets and do like the 800, 1500, 3000 medley relay relay. And just, I would run all day doing that. So it started pretty early with me with just getting into the running and just carried on from there.
2: <laughs> did you, or do you, did you have any siblings that were athletes? Were your
3: parents athletes my parents were not. My parents just worked, but they encouraged us to do whatever we were happy doing. Um, my brother, he was not so much into sports in school. Um, my sister was more into gymnastics and dance, but we were, you know, we were all physically active. And my brother Ken would I would run with him after school and whatnot. So he ran. He just didn't get into the the organized sport thing at school for that. He was he was a little more cerebral. He got into chess and math club and things like that. And I went out running with the boys.
2: <laughs> so we have we had guests in the past because I've lived in California my whole life. So I only know outdoor running. But like people on the East Coast in the United States, they have indoor track. Did you do any? Is that a thing in, in Canada?
3: Were you indoor running and outdoor running? Uh, when I was in school, no, there weren't indoor tracks around. And like for cross country, when it, was, when it would start snowing, they would just shovel a lane to do the track. So you're essentially within like 100 feet, you needed to be where you wanted to be because once you got into the snow, you were in single file lines. So that's that was what we had um, as I was getting older, they started putting in indoor tracks. so the university I was at uh, at University of Calgary, they did a a huge renovation when the Winter Olympics was coming to Calgary. so they put in an indoor track for that and all kinds of things and started using that a little bit more, but that was way later in life. That was actually when I wasn't really running that those started mm-hmm. coming up so it was all outside. And if it was sucky weather, you just went.
2: <laughs> I mean, it, in California, it just gets hot. And sometimes we just keep running. But nowadays, sometimes they don't keep running. So it's very different from, you know what I mean? Like, if it, the air quality is bad, or if it's too hot, then we're not running. You're like, we had snow. <laughs> <And Right. laughs> we were still running. So things have changed just a little bit. So you ran all through elementary, middle school and in high school. And then what happened in grade 12 to your
3: knee? You said something happened. I, yeah, I was running as much as I could. And then in grade 12 um, at the, the championship cross country race. So the, the last cross country race of the season, there was this long, steep downhill with the, the trail was incised really badly. So you had to turn your feet to hit the sides of the trail and go down. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got to the bottom, my knee had just completely fallen apart. And I essentially limped my way to the finish. Um, And, you know, then a 17 year old girl, my mom took me to the doctor and the doctor said, never run again. You're not built to run. So that was it. That was that was the end of my running. The doctor told me not to run and I'm supposed to trust a doctor. So it was years. It was probably 7 years. I didn't run a step and I started bodybuilding, I got into scuba diving, I just started all these other things to try to find that release that the love of the running and then gradually kind of started working back into running but it was a long time.
2: So how did you go from hearing that news to did you take a little bit of a break like mental like I got to figure something out or since you had such an active lifestyle was it just like okay well I need to find something else so we're gonna go straight in you said bodybuilding? Yeah. Okay it was, did you compete for that?
3: Um, I did locally. But, you know, in, in high school, that, that was sort of the end of my high school years. And I didn't really know about bodybuilding competition. So it was just about weightlifting. And, I, and it was immediate. It's like the doctor said, I can't run. I'm going to go lift weights. So the next day, I went to the gym at the high school and started lifting weights and started working with like the football players and stuff. And just really got into that and got into some heavy weights pretty fast. And then when I got into university, I just kept up doing that. And I, it, you know, I started to really enjoy it. And again, sort of hooked up with the football players in the weight room and they helped me with stuff. And, you know, it was, it was fun. It was a community with them there. And as I was getting bulkier and more ripped, people started seeing me and it, I didn't get into competitions immediately, but You know, I'd be in the gym working out and some guy came up to me and said, oh, you need to come to our art class. We want to draw you. You're amazing. So, you know, these little things and it's like, wow, okay, this there's something here. Maybe I can do something. I started doing like really local, small competition. Came became a parent really quick to go be that would require drugs. And I wasn't at that place in my life where I would want to be doing steroids and things like that. So it's that kind of put a damper on it and I just sort of fell back into I'm just going to lift weights and enjoy it and carry on with that. So and did that, that the bodybuilding didn't go far.
2: <laughs> was that like a couple years or a season and then you transitioned into bike riding racing? No,
3: that was wow, that was Pretty much my whole time at university, I was lifting weights for my, during my bachelor's degree, but I had also started riding my bike. So the university was like the opposite end of the city, 15, 16 miles away. So I, I got a good bike and started riding to and from the university and got into that, but really wasn't interested in bike racing. Uh, and then I did my masters and I really wanted to travel. So I bought a different bike and panniers and stuff and I just packed up and went to Australia and I spent a year riding my bike around Australia and you know meeting people, teaching scuba diving and just having fun. And then when I came back to Calgary, that's when I started getting into the bike racing because now I had a solid year of just riding my bike everywhere and felt like I had the strength to get into the bike racing. So it started a little bit there.
0: Nice. That's uh, speaking my language. Uh, do you mind me asking what year that was?
3: Uh, in Australia?
0: Uh, yeah, as you were doing that uh, tour through Australia and then returning back to uh, Calgary.
3: That would have been uh, uh, 1987, 88.
0: Okay, I so that back. was like right in the meaty part of my bike racing career in New England. I started like 1982. I think that was really kind of like the golden age of cycling too at the time. I mean, it was just uh, amazing grassroots type of thing. So uh, like what kind of bike races did you get into? Were you a specialist in any of the different disciplines?
3: Well, when I was in Calgary and just starting, there wasn't a lot available. So it was, you know, local criteriums. Um, And then when I moved down to San Diego, I started getting more into the bike racing and I was good at the crits because I was strong. Mm. Um, I, if I, if it came down to a final sprint, I sucked, (laughs) but if I could get away, I could hold, I could essentially time trial a crit to Mm. a win Um, and Hills. I was awful at, so I, I was on the San Diego state cycling team. And it was a big joke that, you know, I, I would never get points for the team on a road race because I couldn't climb a hill worth crap. Uh-huh. And this one race did, I think I got ninth place, which gave us one point for the team. And it was this big thing. And they made this big thing about it, which they thought was, you know, celebratory to me. It just pissed me off. And it's like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to win road races. And I spent like the whole next summer just climbing hills. And I came back the next season. And just if you put a hill in front of me, get out of the way. Um, I'm up the top of it first. So that all started down in San Diego. And
0: (laughs) Uh, and since we're on the topic, there is a Zoom chat question uh, asking what is a crit or criterium? Do you want to take that?
3: Oh, a criterium is a a essentially a short course road bike race. So you have often in cities, you know, in kind of a city block area, it'll be several blocks long. And you just go really fast for either a number of minutes or a number of laps, depending on what the the setup is. Um, And within the criterium, there will be kind of mini races where yeah, they'll when you come through on a lap, they may ring a bell, and that means the winner of that next lap will win something. So you have these little races within races, and then the
0: yeah, thing, the pre- the short yeah, the preems were short horse. Yeah, the preems. They were always. I mean, New England, we had a kind of classic uh, race announcer guy that went to all the races and he was always drumming up the crowd for money, put some money in the hat. We've got a race within the race. Supreme's coming up on the next lap. And I mean, everybody would get so charged up and all the crit specialists would just go to the front and just destroy themselves trying to win that, you know, $50, $100 or whatever.
3: Well, and then what I would do with those is I'd sit in the back as those sprint specialists would sprint it out to the for the preem and then when they slowed down thinking everyone's going to slow down now i would just fly off and get off the front and time trial the rest of the race so that was how i would win these races was just by time trialing and staying out there by myself for half or more of
0: a race just put down the power
3: (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) so after so you if i understood correctly you were competing for college on the road bike in San Correct. Diego. Right.
3: Well, for how many years or seasons? Um, I think that was maybe four years and that was, that was kind of a different situation because I was actually working at San Diego state, but as a worker, I could take up to 12, I think up to 12 units for like $3 a unit. Wow. So While I was working, I was getting a teaching credential and taking because of doing that, I was getting I was I had enough units each semester that I could race for the collegiate team. So it was sort of another another degree and giving me the ability to race
2: and compete, which I'm guessing after running your entire childhood, then being told you couldn't compete, you were just maybe Anxious for it. So you're like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll go to school
3: so I can compete again. Sure, why not? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I started out just, I didn't know about this whole thing. And I just started out riding with the team. And, you know, as I was going, I'm I, riding with the team. I started getting into classes for my teaching credential. And then somebody said, You know, I think you've got enough units to race for us. Why don't you do that? And it was like this aha moment. (laughs) Sure,
2: (laughs) totally. And then, so you rode with them for four years, and then I think you transitioned some mountain bike racing, or was
3: that at the same time? It was kind of at the same time towards the end. So probably, I think the after about two years of just road racing, we started creating a mountain bike team. So we just added that in as well. So we were doing the mountain bike racing as well.
2: Is, I mean, I don't ride bikes at all, but is mountain biking and road racing, is that similar to like track and cross country? Like there's different
3: seasons or are they both kind of year round? They, there's a maybe a little more overlap between mountain bike and um, road racing but there there's a little bit of separation although these days it, everything is year-round so you don't know <laughs> but when we were doing it you know there was a definite road season and a definite mountain season there was a bit of separation there.
2: I miss those days a little bit. <laughs>
3: there I a know. Post, a I little
2: know. I, of, I, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah I look at people's Facebook posts where they're just going constantly it's like what happened to the off season you I need an off season <laughs> my
2: my off season ended i graduated high school in 2006 and then i went to american river and that was the first time that i never had an off season i ran cross country and track and once so i had my entire childhood where i had really good seasons where i wasn't running or doing anything for months and then once you get to college level they're like oh Well, the thing is you run year round and you run twice a day. (laughs) You're like, right. Okay. Um, And yeah, off seasons are so fantastic. Love them. Speaking of going from seasons, now a different season of life. Then you, when you were in San Diego, you met, who did you meet when you were in San Diego? That's very important to you. I met Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was he uh, in the college community was he
3: racing was not initially we actually met um we were both taking a track racing class and we met there and we were you know we were doing the track track class stuff and we were taking a break in the middle of the the training and we were just sitting around chatting and somebody asked me a question that you know it was something about my siblings and i mentioned that my brother was a bike racer in the eastern u.s and he you know he raced for the canadian national team and all this other stuff and alan was close behind and he goes "The brother's name is not ken anderson is it it was like what <laughs> you know so you yeah, know that that was an instant connection that he knew my brother through cycling. They didn't know each other personally, but he, you know, he was always at races that Ken was at and was watching him and following him and stuff. So it was kind of a cool connection. And then he offered to drive me home after that. And it turned out that he lived half a mile away from me at the time. So, you know, a couple of days later I was walking, I think I was walking home from work or something And he pulled over and asked if I wanted to go to the Wednesday night crit with him. It's like, Hey, yeah. (laughs) So it just all started rolling together and we just, we got more and more into the cycling. And then he started taking some business classes at San Diego state. So he was able to race for the the university as well. So it was, you know, everything just sort of coalesced there and it was amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. And Um,
2: so then the timeline is you kind of transition from the college life and getting degrees and then mountain bike racing, road racing, and then this, what is, then you transition to adventure racing. What is adventure (laughs) racing? For people who don't know and me, explain adventure
3: racing. Adventure racing is um, stupid and insane and crazy. (laughs) No, it's, it's, Sometimes described as a triathlon on steroids. It's multiple sports, but you don't know where you're going. And it's usually out in the woods somewhere. So, and typical adventure races, especially when they started out, where you were guaranteed there was going to be some kind of bike section, some kind of foot section, um, something on the water, and then may or may not have some kind of climbing. So, rock climbing or. or something like that so and they could be anywhere from two or three hours to many many days so we started doing that um, and that was kind of a weird transition we were we were very heavily into the bike racing and then alan had been in the navy when we were in san diego he was getting out of the navy and looking for a job and the you know, we went around, he took me to all these job interviews and one up in Red Bluff in way Northern California. And, uh, you know, we, we spent a few days there and we said, you know, out of anywhere we've been, the, the other job offers are like the middle of freaking LA or the, you know, just these horrible cities that we had no interest in being in. And here's Red Bluff with thousands and Thousands of square miles of playground with nothing out there, and just said, "This is it. This is where we're going to go." So we moved up there, and then realized that there was no real bike racing up there. So in order to race bikes, we were looking at you know, a four-hour drive to do a, a crit or a half-hour crit, and we just said, "This is ridiculous." And one day, Alan sat down and said, Okay, I'm gonna find us something we can do. The event will take longer than the drive. And he found this 24 hour adventure race that was down near, like, the foothills near Yosemite. And it was road bike racing, mountain bike racing, running, canoeing, and some navigation. And it's like, Oh, yeah, that's us. (laughs) we went and did it and we were the first place co-ed team second place overall and we said okay this is this is where we're going and we just fell into that and so different
2: adventures in racing no different um events will have like different styles of teams I'm guessing so or can you always just have two people or some people
3: What's the structure on that? Um, different, different events will allow different team makeups. Some like the big ones, things like Eco Challenge, uh, stuff like that. It was always a co-ed team. Didn't matter how the co-ed was made up. There just had to be one person of the other sex from the others. Um, and then you know, those ones started out as five-person teams and eventually came down to four-person teams. Some you can do with two people. We there have been some that they would allow solos. Um, so it just depends on the you know the size of the race, the, the race director, and what kind of um, what kind of events are in it. You know, some of them don't lend themselves to being solo people out in the middle of nowhere, so they won't allow solos in some of those. So you know, it just depends on what's going on, what the race is. And you
2: mentioned that you were running during this adventure race. Was that one of the first times that
3: you'd been running competitively? Pretty much. I had been kind of dabbling in San Diego, just doing like two, three, four milers. You know, Alan was doing some marathons down there and I would go and do, you know, the 5k that was associated. And so I was starting to kind. of dabbled back into running and realized that I could do it and so the the adventure racing started getting me back into it but that first race um, my knee flared up so badly that the final we had like a final five mile run and it was it was a limp the whole way for me my knee was in such bad shape and I was Pop an ibuprofen like every hour just to try to get through it. That was before we knew that ibuprofen would destroy your whole system. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was just it was constant. You know, we had uh, a crew that was following us on the the road bike section, and that my knee had started bothering me already early in the race. And he was handing me ibuprofen out the window of the truck as we're riding up this mountain. it was bad, but you know, after that I went and I got orthotics that saved my life for years and got everything straightened out and helped with that. And I was able to get into running, but yeah, the adventure racing kind of led to the longer and longer runs because people, you know, the teams that were winning the big races were the teams that were running. So, you know, i at some point, Alan said to me, you need to run. You need to run more. And so we just started running more and adding that and started doing, you know, marathons to train for the next adventure race and stupid stuff like that. (laughs) Was that knee injury the same knee? Um, What the problem is, which I still have and have continued to have, is my kneecaps don't track properly. So as I run, my kneecap is off laterally towards the outside of my leg. And it just starts cutting into the cartilage and causing all kinds of problems because it doesn't track properly. So now, I mean, if you see pictures of me, even back in the early 2000s, I've got my knees taped to try to hold everything. And it's been a constant struggle to just tape them in place and keep them so that I don't get that pain when I'm running.
1: Yeah, I think I've seen uh, videos on how to tape your knee to pull that the the inward or outward. I've seen people do that, and I've had tracking issues, and it, it is kind of weird. Uh, but I can see how that could just irritate the, the tendons in there. So yeah, you, you started running in 2003, and I I went through your ultra sign up, and I just I think I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it. But there's like 184 races on on that all kinds of races of all sorts of sizes and difficulties you know and, and you've done so many things uh in western states was like i think your first one you said in 2000 first uh, hundred yeah first hundred oh five you've done that a handful of times in the hurt vermont wasatch trt hovelina headlands lost soul and back home right yeah uh, that, that was was that was the only one you've done in canada was was that one or others you've done in Canada?
3: That's the only one I've done in Canada. I did it, completed it twice. And then it once when my knee was starting to go really bad again and got okay. one lap and just said, I can't, I couldn't go downhill forward.
1: I uh-huh. had to no. stop. Go downhill backwards, I guess.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh. And you did San Diego and Andrew. Did you do San Diego when you were in San Diego or did that happen later?
3: No, that happened just, oh gosh, a few years ago, maybe six years ago or so. Okay.
1: And and also, just for the record, you and I, Greg and I, have done a race with you last year. We did Euchre Bar together. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's right. We did, Greg and I did that last year, the 25. That was exciting. That was fun yeah was are, are you
3: doing it this year
1: we are and jessica we are and jessica signed up too nice so should be pretty exciting. so of all those races you know the which one of those stand stand out to you i know that you mentioned the plane one is one that you you really liked a lot
3: i did yeah we did plane a couple times and yeah i i love that race again because you're pretty much on your own there's one spot where they have an aid station after like 60 miles 62 miles and you can do you, know, you can aid yourself out of your car and whatever but you know you're on your own for 60 miles and then you're on your own again for 40 miles
1: <laughs> wow interesting so it's like it's like a almost self-supported or supported and you can have crew anywhere you want or just, no. just
3: you are totally on your own there's a few places where they have search and rescue teams that you check in. So they know where you are on the course, but it's like getting water out of the rivers and carry enough food to get through that 60, 62 miles. And then the second one is like, I think it's actually like 110 miles for the whole course. So the second loop is about 50, Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's kind of Barkley light. In a way, it's not marked. You just have to be able to follow the map and the directions, and you're out there on your own, taking care of yourself. And you know, Alan and I have done it together, and stayed together the two times that we did it. And uh, it's just—it's always been a fun, fun race to do.
1: What's the course like? What's the—the the, I mean, I'm thinking of the plains, but it's probably not like the plains. Is it mountainous or? It's
3: yeah. It's in the middle of Washington. Hmm. Um, and the reason it's called is because it's near of plain Washington. So it's pretty mountainous. And it it's it, because it's mountainous, the weather is very unpredictable. The the last time we did it, a storm rolled in, a lightning storm rolled in. And we, as we were going up, starting the second lap or the second loop of it, we were watching lightning lighting trees on fire around on these ridgelines. And we got to the search and rescue team. And you know, Alan, Alan's a, an amazing navigator. He's kind of marking in his head where we're seeing these lightning strikes. And we get to the search and rescue team and he says, pull out a map. I'll show you where we saw the lightning strikes so that you can get some assistance out to some of these in case they're going to get worse. Um, and we, we got in there thinking they're going to call this race. There's no way they're going to have people out on these ridges in a lightning storm <laughs> and we're we're showing them these places where we'd seen these lightning strikes and as we're sort of finishing up the guy says well there was a guy in front of you he dropped out so you guys are first and second I would suggest you don't slow down on this next ridge because there's lightning all over up there and we're like uh really <laughs> so yeah we went and Ran through it, and just every time a lightning bolt came, we just kind of went <laughs> what, what <laughs> carried the, on.
1: Wow! What is the what's the practice? What is the right thing to do? I guess is the question. Um, towards the, right the thing, trees or not towards the trees? If, if you're up there, anyways, you know, if you're uh, up there.
3: didn't have an option. There were trees everywhere, so you probably don't want to be near a tree that gets hit, but. You don't want to be out in the middle of nothing where you're the tallest thing. So, but I mean, ideally, you shouldn't be out there in the in the middle of a lightning storm.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. It sounds like some really, really adventuring. But it sounds like if you were with Alan, it would be kind of at least you had a, a partner to kind of you know plan with. And, and it, it was your partner, partner. So it's like you know, no matter where you were, you were, you were with your partner. So probably right. was probably in that case. You know, it was. Where else would you want to be, I suppose?
3: Yeah. And bonus, he's way taller than me. So if anything was gonna get hit, it was him.
1: <laughs> That's funny. You mentioned the bark the marathons. And you've done that a, a number of years. Maybe talk a little bit about that. You started that your first year was 2013. You did like four years in a row? Uh,
3: my first was 2012. 12. And yeah, four in a row. So um Ellen had started that one. He, he did his first in 2010 and you know, he came back and when he went to do it, I said, I don't ever want to do that. That's, that's insane. He was telling me about this thing and he came back from it and he was all excited and wanted to do it the next year. And I said, okay, fine. I will come out and crew you because I had just had knee surgery. So I wasn't going to be doing anything like that. So I went out and crewed him and, you know, we were talking about it and, I, and it's, it's an adventure race. It's not a run. And that's what got my, me excited about it. It's like, this is not a run. This is an adventure race. And it would be so cool to get back into that scene. So the next year I applied. condolences, And so we went out to do it together in 2012. And then The next three years after that.
1: Wow! And so it seems like your your history of races, it wasn't unusual or something that was it a stretch. Uh.
3: Well, Barkley is a very difficult race, and yeah, it it was. I would say it was a stretch, partly because I was a little older than I was when I was adventure racing, so there was that associated with it, and it's not a team thing. When you're in an adventure race, if something's not going well, you can rely on your team to slow down a little bit, to help you out, to carry your stuff, things like that to make it a little easier for someone who's struggling a bit. Barkley doesn't have that. You better be able to keep up with the people you're trying to keep up with because if you can't on your own, they're not waiting. So, you know, I kind of went into it thinking this is an adventure race a bit more but there it really isn't. It's you know it's it has the feel of it from a course standpoint, but the people you're there with are there on their own. and it's it becomes apparent very quickly. And you know, as we were going, I was kind of treating it as an adventure race that first time, and I was checking in with everyone and you know, we'd be out for, we were out for four or five hours. And I was like, okay, has everyone been taking their electrolytes? Have you guys been eating enough? And, and it, you know, Jared and um, Brett are like, who is this? <laughs> you know, Why are you asking us this stuff? Just do your thing. Do your so, business. It, yeah. It, yeah, it was just, it was, I was, I was in a different race than they were, so to speak. But it was great. It was just an amazing experience to do that. And to be with Jared and Brett that first year was just, it was incredible. And then of course with Alan. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: how how far have you gone?
3: Um, At the Barclay? Yeah. I've got two fun runs, which is three laps. So um, on. In last miles, that's 60 miles. In real miles, probably closer to 70-ish. So,
1: yeah, that was good. That's great. Huh? It's always fun to watch, you know, YouTube videos and that. It's just crazy. I can't, I can't imagine. It sounds like, you know, recent years, you've got you've gotten into longer and longer races, but uh, the last three years, you've done these you know, 300 mile races. And when did you start to thinking about longer distances?
3: Um, Again, that was Alan's fault. <laughs> he, <clears throat> way back, I think it was in 2013, he had done the Barkley a couple of times and got to know Laz and found out about Vol State. So he asked if I would mind if he took a couple of weeks and went out and did Ball State. And I'm like, again, I was like, I got no interest in that. You go. So he went out and did it and came back with just these amazing stories. And it just, it got me excited to do something like that. And, you know, back to my knees, it's, it's at a point now where doing like a really big mountainous hundred miler is not something that I'm really comfortable doing because my knees will start to hurt a lot because of the the downhills um but running on a road i know exactly how my feet are going to land every time they land and i can be prepared for what's going to happen and it's just a matter of moving forward so you know when i finally got out there with alan uh in 2019 it was like this is awesome this is i can go forever and I have no knee issues, I can, I just can go. And I don't need to be too worried about it.
1: So tell us about, where does it, where does it start and end? And and kind of tell us more about the course.
3: (laughs) Well, first of all, it's called, the full name of it is The Last Annual Volunteer State Road Race. So Laz is nothing if not a guy who overnames his courses. (laughs) Um, Ball State goes from the extreme northwest corner of Tennessee, and actually it starts in Kentucky. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, you take a ferry to cross into Tennessee, and then it just kind of wiggles southeast through Tennessee and goes to southeast corner where the Georgia and Alabama come together. So you wiggle through Tennessee. Well, you go through Tennessee and then you into Alabama and Georgia and finish actually in Georgia at a, a ranch called Castle Rock.
1: Wow. So it's, it's all on road?
3: It's all on road. Um, and, you know, he tries to keep the the runners on not overly used roads but there are sections that are on you know highways with huge shoulders which are great but horrible and open and exposed and hot and nasty but you know he, he takes you through some pretty cool areas and you go you know it's it he tries to run this the Vol State and the new part of base through yeah. some historic little towns. So it's it's like a walk through history wow. with these races.
1: So it's, it's not like as other races where it's navigation. You have to follow these roads or is it is there is there options?
3: The these ones you have to follow the course that you're given. And you know for Vol State it's a standard course. It's been done for several years. Everybody knows it. Um, and it's gotten to the point where it's almost not the adventure that he had originally wanted it to be because so many people along the course know about it they set up aid stations all over the place and you know you'll be going down a highway and there will be a cooler on the side of the road with gatorade and all kinds of food and stuff or there was one cooler that we actually missed a couple years ago they had beer and pretzels and cheese and stuff in it Yeah. So they, they are all over the place along the ball state course. Um, And that's part of the reason that he started the heart of the South and what he's doing with heart of the South is he's changing the course every year. So Mm -hmm. the locals can't find out until the last minute, but that also means that the racers don't know until the last minute. So we actually get, Uh, a link to a gpx file at like seven o'clock the night before the race starts so you don't know where you're going so it's kind of exciting Um, and he's talking about doing one he was talking about doing it for next year but i think he's putting it off 2023 where the first half of the race will be more of an adventure race style he'll take us to the start or take the runners to the start and give you a point at like a hundred or so miles in and it's up to you to figure out how to get there and mm. then from there on it'll be a set course
1: ah it's so. interesting you know uh sean randy the euchre bar massacre rd he talked about putting one together in california like that going up you know up through the central valley he's been talking about dreaming of because he's been out there at barclay as well and he, he loves those all those kind of very different kinds of races.
3: Yeah, he did Vol State uh in 2019 when I did it the first time. So that was kind of fun having him out there.
1: Yeah. Um so, so in that race, it sounds like you could bring a crew, but you you expect there to be supplies along the route, or do you have a plan and someone following you for vol state, or do you think um, you're gonna get stuff on the way?
3: For vol state. There, there are a few openings for people who want to race it crude. He allows 120 people in, and I think it's 100 people are uncrewed or screwed, and then 20 can have a crew. So those crude people, their crew can do whatever, as long as they don't cause traffic issues or do something stupid out there, break laws, whatever. Um, if you're running screwed, you've got nothing. So it's you know figuring out where stores are gonna be, making sure you hit mini marts. If you're going to be going into the night, make sure you load up at the last mini mart you see with whatever you're gonna need for the whole night. So it's, it's very, again, very much taking care of yourself and making sure you've got what you need to get through the time that you're out there
1: i seen, i seen YouTube videos where people will push like baby strollers or a cart, like baby runners, you know, or they have traders. What did you, how did you carry your supplies?
3: I just had a small pack and most people, most people are getting their packs down to almost nothing who are running screwed. And then, you know, they just buy whatever they need along the way. Um, I had a pack. It probably weighed maybe six pounds when, and well, maybe about eight pounds when it was full with the water that I needed to carry um, and just took absolute bare minimum, like one emergency blanket, one little, uh, one little um, emergency poncho, rain poncho, a um, couple pairs of socks, a few blister things, stuff like that, and just kept it absolute bare minimum.
2: I'm going to link this to your start in adventure racing because you don't know where you're going and you just kind of have to be cool with it. Now you're just doing it for a very long time, but is it kind of relatable?
3: It is. It is. And I think that's why I kind of keyed in on it and really enjoy this kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's back to you take care of yourself and you don't know where you're going but you better be prepared for whatever's going to happen. And, you know, when I did um, Heart of the South this, this year, which unfortunately ended badly for me, but you know, I was, I was running with another guy out there and we hit a mini Mart like five minutes before they were closing at night and we loaded up and it was all night. There was nothing that we could get. We couldn't even get water. So, you know, you have those kinds of stretches and, you know, we'd go through these little places where there was a cute little restaurant and one of us would comment saying, someone's going to enjoy that when it's daytime, (laughs) you know, it's just this constant, we got nothing. So, oh, well, (laughs) but yeah, Yeah. I love that. It's just, it's just a cool way to, to do a race like that.
1: Yeah, sounds exciting. I, I imagine it sounds pretty fun. So you, you did, that was 19, you did the first Ball State, your first Ball State. Then you did, 2020, you did Heart of the South? Yes. And then that, that was a different kind of race. So you had, you've done this one long one, then it's unsupported or just unplanned. How did you attack that one?
3: Um, Very similar. And the first year for Heart of the South, Before Laz had kind of figured out how he was going to to run Heart of the South, he had given clues and information about where it was going to go and had sent out a lot of information about that first Heart of the South. So being the data geek that I am, I just started pouring through everything he said. And you know, there was one point where he said, this might be the course and he had a bunch of turn information. And I just built a turn sheet based on all of that. And then, you know, finally he said, well, it's not going to be that course. And you won't know until the night before when he finally did send us the map, I just went through it and checked it against my turn sheet. And in the few places that he changed it, I just penciled in this is different or, you know, there's too much to write, check the phone map. You know, so most of it I already had a turn sheet for. So, you know, for me, it was it was very similar to running. There were some stretches that we knew were not going to have any kind of services. You know, there was one stretch that he was referring to as the desert where I think it was 30 miles where there was nothing. There were a couple places you get water. There was like a little um, park boat launch area that had fountains and stuff. And then there was a church where you could get water. And other than that, you know, you had to load up before you left this one town to get you through the whole night and well into the next day. So, you know, we knew that that was coming. And where's part of the South? Um, Same general area. And that one is changing every year. So that that first one in 2020 started in uh, Arkansas, I think. Yeah, so it started in West Memphis, Arkansas and came into Tennessee at Memphis. And then it kind of wiggled down into Mississippi, did a little bit in Alabama and just sort of followed essentially the Southern border of Tennessee to finish in the same place as Ball State. The heart of the South in 2021 started in the opposite direction. So it started in Georgia at the Giant Peach and wiggled across to end in the same place. So coming through Chattanooga and more of a mountainous run than the first one.
1: And you are currently the queen of the South. So what's that about? You're, you're the overall queen of the South.
3: Queen of the South, that, that came from the first year um, when you know Alan and I did together, we won together. As we were coming into the, the final, Thing, I, I said, well, okay, are we going to like race to the finish or what do you want to do here? Because they only allow one person to finish at a time. And he said, you know, you were stronger than me the whole time. I wouldn't be here at this point if you hadn't been helping. So you got it. So I won overall and that allowed me to name the winner. And when they looked at me, and said, so what are you? I said, well, it's
1: gotta be the queen of the South. <laughs> nice, and you're the queen of the South from the North. Right. <laughs> this is interesting. So that's amazing. So those are crazy long races. I wanna make sure, wonder if we are gonna have more like that transitioning, you know, here in California, maybe What well, maybe we we'll have to check in with Sean and see if, he's, if that's still on his radar to put something together.
3: Yeah, I think we're going to start seeing more of those. I'm hearing about more in the east where they they there's a couple 200-milers. There was one that was just run this past weekend, a 200-miler. Um, there was someone here who was trying to set up, I think it was a 350-miler on trails going from Humboldt to Mount Shasta, but he's been struggling with that because of fires and all the stuff going on there um, that people are starting to reach for these longer and longer distances. I think it's going to be a little harder to do something like that in California on roads because we're a little more liability um, concerned. And, you know, in Tennessee, I'm putting on an event and these are the roads and okay. There's, you know, nobody's asking questions. You don't, There's just nothing. There's no permits.
1: No permits. No. Yeah. No permission.
3: Right. And you you go through these little towns and the police will pull you over and go, what are you doing? And you explain it to them and they're like, okay, well, we'll just let everyone know that there's going to be people coming through.
1: (laughs) That sounds fun. We'll keep our eyes open for those kinds of things. And we'll be watching you next year as well. Hoping to find some others. They're a lot of fun.
0: Sounds great. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a really uh, interesting kind of evolution of your, your racing um, history. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, is um, of particular importance for us on the show. I mean, we have people that uh, listen to us. They're just starting to get going with running. Uh, we love having people like you on that have just this wealth of information. And, uh, you know, we asked you this in the um, the pre-interview questionnaire, just sort of like, what was your advice for new runners? um, you know, how, how, how would you advise them as they're kind of getting out there and, and starting out on their journey?
3: Did I answer that?
0: <laughs> I think you did. I can prompt you a little bit, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, it's all about, about like kind of make doing what makes you happy, you know, and yeah. asking if you're having fun. Um, and, and maybe you can relate that to kind of sort of your, your thoughts on coaching and, and that sort of thing.
3: Yeah. It's, I mean, to me, and that's, that's what I tell people who are getting into running is you're doing it for fun. If it's not fun, do something else, change things up. Um, And that's what I have always done. I just, if I'm not having fun, I'm not going to do it. And I've gone through periods where running became not fun. And it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not a job. I have a job. I don't need my running to be a job. So, you know, I, we did mountain bike races this summer and that was a, a really cool, fun change up for that. And yeah, you know, so I'm always looking for something that's going to be fun and going to keep me excited. And you know, if, if an opportunity to comes up for me to go and climb a mountain and play around in the mountains or run around on the bike trail, I'm going to the mountains. I don't care if I can't do a seven minute mile up there, I'm going to the mountains. So it's, you know, that's something that, I don't want to say a lot of people are missing, but I think there's, there's too many people who get locked into, I have to follow this sheet of paper that tells me to do X on this day. And I just, I can never do that. And, you know, I, I coached for quite a while and I gave people those things. And I never truly understood why they kept doing it. <laughs> it's like, what? okay, this this makes sense. I know it's going to help you. If it were me, it's not fun. But yeah. I'll do whatever I can to help you. And, you know, that was, it was just a very different thing.
0: Yeah, no, great advice. Yeah, don't take yourself too seriously, probably at first, you know. I mean, you yeah. want to be in this thing for the long haul. And uh, you've proven uh, that you've you've got longevity and uh, you've got a great approach so appreciate that I'm yeah. sure a lot of people can uh, find some value there
3: well I get told about every four years by doctors that I should never run again and it's <laughs> like yeah no
0: you've <laughs> <proving> them wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> great well we've come to the uh, end of the hour we do a little thing at the end here where we like to give you some rapid fire questions so are you ready for that
3: I guess so. <laughs>
0: okay. I think we probably know, but let's go with the first one. Road or trail? Trail. <laughs> okay. I think that was probably a gimme there. Um, what's your favorite post-brace food?
3: Um, ooh. Pizza or scrambled eggs.
0: All right. <laughs> Depending on what time of day you're finishing. Is that exactly. sort of related? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that figures. Pizza in the morning, scrambled eggs. No.
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, what is your bucket list race?
3: Um, I don't really have one. I just sort of look at what's out there and
0: do stuff. Well, the great thing is there's so many things coming. That yeah, sounds exactly. like exactly. <laughs> and our wrap up question always controversial dogs or cats
3: Ooh, i have one of each <laughs> i was always a cat person but i've had a couple of amazing dogs so i've i think i've i'm a cat dog <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right very good we got the split decision here tonight <laughs> Uh, Excellent. Well, um, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time kind of going through your history, letting us know all about, you know, your motivation and all of that. we are going to wrap it up for now, but uh, what we would like to do is encourage everybody to visit our website. Uh, it is the mile 99interview.com. We have a Facebook page, the mile 99 interview as well as our Instagram. Again the mile 99 interview. it's not hard to find us. Uh, we'd love it if you'd visit us, follow us. Good night everybody. Good night everybody. Bye And we'll Bye. see you all on the trails. Bye-bye.